This is episode number 49 with founder of Tiber Solutions, Jim Hadley. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. Super excited to have you on the show. And today we've got an exciting guest, Jim Hadley, who is the president and founder of Tiber Solutions. Now, Tiber Solutions is a consulting firm specializing in analytics consulting. And today's podcast is going to be very different to what we're normally used to. So normally we have quite a lot of technical stuff on the podcast. So we talk about some tools and techniques and methodologies and also, we sometimes talk about um, how people build their careers or how people have built their careers and how, they're, um, how they've progressed throughout their lives in the space of data science and analytics. Well, today we're talking about the other side of the coin. We're talking about what it is like to actually run an analytics company, what it is like to build a culture, to maintain a culture where people are advocates of data, and at the same time, they're happy in their workplace, they're enjoying their work, they're they're doing the things they love. And this podcast is going to be useful uh, to you regardless of whether you're a business owner or an executive, or if you're looking for a job. Obviously, if you're a business owner or executive, this podcast is going to be useful because you will uh, get some tips and hacks on how to create that analytics culture, that environment to foster talent and help people flourish and learn the skills that they want to learn. On the other hand, if you're looking for a job, this podcast will actually show you what a successful analytics workplace should look like. So what you should be looking for, because a lot of the time, and I am not tired of repeating this, a lot of the time people uh, get it wrong. People go to interviews and they just want to sell themselves only. They just want to uh, just get the job at whatever cost. But at the same time, you should be also, the interviews as much for the interviewer to the employer to interview you as it is the other way around, for you to interview the employer to understand what you're getting into yourself. And this podcast, uh, together with thanks to Jim, we'll be able to discuss that, investigate that further, because Jim has been successful in building a great analytics culture. Um, his company, Tiber Solutions, has been named one of the top 50 places to work in Washington, D.C. Just recently, uh, they got that uh, win, and that's that's a big thing for a small analytics firm to be one of the top 50 companies uh, to work in Washington, D.C. That's a big deal, and of course, we're going to dig deeper into that. So, if you want to find out more about what kind of culture you should be looking for in an organization where you're going for an interview, then this is the podcast for you. I can't wait to get started. And without further ado, I bring to you Jim Hadley, the president and founder of Tiber Solutions. Welcome, everybody, to the Super Data Science Podcast. Today, I have the president and founder of Tiber Solutions, Jim Hadley on the line. Jim, welcome. How are you today? Uh, doing great, Kirill. Good to be with you. Um, just really looking forward to this time. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, just for our listeners, where are you calling in from? I am calling in from the suburbs of Washington, D.C. 
in Virginia. Fantastic. And how's the weather today? It is beautiful. It is uh, cherry blossoms, which you know, this is the, the couple weeks during the year that the cherry blossoms are out. And it's, you know, 70 degrees Fahrenheit, just beautiful. Oh, that's, that's so cool. Well, what is 70 degrees in Fahrenheit and Celsius? Oh, man, that's a hard data science question. <laughs> I have no idea. It's, it's always, shorts weather. It's just starting to get into shorts weather, is all I can say. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I, was always, I always get confused with these things myself. But um, sounds pretty cool. I'm, I'm already jealous because here in Brisbane, it was like it was raining crazy last week. They had to close down the whole city on Friday. It was so much rain. So, yeah, we're going kind of through a bit of a wet season right now. So yours, yours sounds a bit better. Yeah, you guys are going in the wrong direction heading into winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh well, it happens, I guess. Well, you got you got to have some winter to have some summer in the end. So, it, like, it makes you appreciate those things more, right? That is true. Very true. All right. Well, Jim. So very, very excited to have you on the show. And you are the president and founder of Tiber Solutions, which is a data science and analytics consulting firm. So, can you tell us a bit more about? Um, what, what, what does your company do and how long have you guys been around for? Yeah, so we uh, just do one thing and that's analytics. And that is every possible area of analytics from just traditional data warehousing and business to intelligence and ETL to um, you know, pretty sophisticated data science type stuff as well. Um, so we've been around since uh, 2005 is when I founded the company, but I, I've been a practitioner uh, since about 1994, so mm -hmm. uh, about 23 years. Wow. Okay. So you definitely had a lot of experience by the time you founded the company. Right. And uh, what, what areas of analytics were you, like, were you into yourself before starting the company? Were you like um, just database focused or visualization focused, or did you have kind of a broad spectrum of everything? I had a pretty broad spectrum for that time frame. Um, so I started out at uh, Accenture in, in 1990 and was there for about four years. And then about four years in, I got put on my first business intelligence project. It was uh, for a regional healthcare company and uh, continued to, to work there for about four years. You know, right around the mid 90s, uh, Ralph Kimball came out with his first book on star schema or dimensional modeling. And um, I just fell in love with it. I was like, this is a very elegant, beautiful way. Uh, it's brilliant to, to actually model data in a relational database that high performance, but just being able to really correlate information uh, very flexibly and intuitively. And uh, so I, I really just started to try to be a practitioner of that. And after a couple years, so about 1998, I looked at Ralph Kimball's website and I was, you know, my wife and I were starting to have kids. I wanted to get off the road and get out of the big four. And uh, I looked at Ralph Kimmel's website. He recommended three people in the world that were experts in star schema. So one of them was a guy named Chris Adamson that was uh, in basically in my backyard. And mm -hmm. I, I gave him a call. He um, was you know, about my age and we, we got along really well and he was he didn't own uh, this company, but he was working for a small boutique business intelligence data warehouse company. And he and I became the senior consultants there. So I went on to a couple other startups. Ralph Kimball was heavily involved in those companies. So really during that time frame, uh, I, I was mentored by kind of the industry leaders in Star Schema and uh, just had a great uh, opportunity to play many, many roles. So I you know, was the ETL developer, the star schema designer and architect, the DBA, 
um, you know, the BI developer. I did all the designer requirements. I was able to go in and talk to a CIO about, you know, strategies and tools and methodologies and best practices and, and, you know, build the whole system out for him or her. But I was also able to cross over to the tech, uh, to the uh, business side and, and speak with a chief marketing officer or a CFO and, really listen and 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 understand their business and understand their business problems and be able to help them understand the enabling capabilities of these products and these tools and co-invent a solution with them like you know touching base with them multiple times per, th- through the week and showing what I was doing and maturing it and getting their buy-in and their direction as I went and 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 so you know th- that was kind of my background as I had played all, Every role there was in you know more traditional business intelligence and data warehousing. Uh, 2005, um, I kind of had a pause in my career, and that was kind of the the reason why Tiber was started was because I had seen that that was a very successful way to kind of be a Swiss Army knife to be deep and wide in 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 this space. And that was the best way to create these solutions because there are so many design decisions that need to be made. And unless you have experiential hands-on knowledge of all the different layers and the components, it's hard to make a wise choice in how to implement um, the, 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 the requirement. At that time in 2005, I just saw that you know the big four and a lot of companies were just putting 20, 30 people on these types of projects. And... Everybody was so specialized and so typecast into their their responsibility on that on that project that there was nobody really that saw how these puzzle pieces needed to come together. I mean, yes, there was a, a project manager, but they had no hands-on experience in this, and they were just making sure things got t- done on time on budget. And, and so I wanted to be that that brain, and 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 that's really what Tiber is: is it's a company that is small intentionally because we don't really hire any you know junior level people. Every person at Tiber uh, either is or aspires to be kind of this Swiss Army knife that can do it all, and that's how we think projects are successfully done. So instead of putting twenty people on a project, we'll put like four people on a project, and these people will share all the responsibilities and be able to have wisdom in, in getting the work done. Yeah, to- totally. And I, I can attest to that because a couple of people from your company, uh, I think Jeremy and uh, a few others have actually done s- several of my courses. And it's very interesting to see like how you uh, how you actually say that you're creating these Swiss army knives out of people and that they're not just focused on one thing. They're uh, focused on many different things, and they're building up their capabilities in uh, in all these different areas. And uh, they're definitely, I, w- I would imagine that that is a much more fulfilling job. But like, what are your clients saying about that? Are they are they impressed? Are they like, uh, or is that is that like what not what they're expecting when you guys come in and you have instead of twenty people, you have four people, and they manage to get the whole job done anyway? It's it's a very different model than what they're used to. So uh, sometimes they get it pretty quickly. Sometimes they, it's kind of a wait and see. And, and sometimes they just continue to scratch their head. They're used to having more of a waterfall approach at times and, and having, again, that 20 people like, you know, they'll, they'll look at me and say, you know, where's your business analyst and where's your DBA and where's your data modeler and where's your Tableau developer and where's your SaaS developer? And it's like, that's Jeremy. <laughs> He's all of those. And they're like, well, how can that be? And it's like, well, we've, 
trained them and we've mentored them and we apprenticed them and we've been very intentional about that. And that's just really part of our culture. So instead of having 20 people, we're going to give you three or four and they're going to be interchangeable in a lot of ways. And, and instead of having one person thinking about the star schema, you got four people thinking about the star schema. And there's wisdom in numbers there. And they know all the different layers, all the different components, and how all these pieces need to come together. And they can weigh all of that because they've played these roles multiple times and they've learned through experience. So, you know, I, I think sometimes it's it's just a strange model for them to get their head around. Mm -hmm. They don't really trust it. Like, how can somebody really know all of that? It's like saying somebody's like a fan, the world's greatest Java developer and the world's greatest Oracle DBA and the world's greatest business analyst all in one. It's like those guys don't grow on trees. It's like, you're right. You have to be very intentional about it. And that person needs to want to be that type of person. And they got to have the DNA to, 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 to have that as well. But I think from, um, you know, in some cases, they like the idea. They have seen large projects where baton gets dropped as it goes through, you know, the gauntlet from requirements to to final testing and production releases. And they're seeing less bodies that, you know, less people that they're paying billing rates for, too. Yeah, totally, totally. And there's a whole very interesting concept. And for instance, like, do you think people, because we have quite a few listeners on this podcast who are either business owners or entrepreneurs or in even more so uh, we have quite a few people who are in uh, managerial or executive positions in companies do you think it is possible to build a team like that not as a consulting team but as a team inside your own organization or inside an organization do you have to like uh, pigeonhole people and make sure that everybody's just good at very good at what they do, but they're only doing one thing. Or can a person inside a company like an executive strive to build a team of uh, data scientists or analysts similar to what you have in your consulting firm? Yeah, I, I mean, I personally think this is the best way to create quality solutions because if you it, it analytics and business intelligence it just it doesn't work well in a factory assembly line it just things get lost throughout the process you need to kind of see the very beginning where how the source system's collecting the data and 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 what the business rules mean there and and bring it all the way through the process and kind of begin with the end in mind but to, to, to the actual problems and, and the analytics that people are going to need to solve those problems. So I would definitely encourage uh, companies to hire employees that want to be that way. I mean, it, 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 it's fulfilling for employees to, to know that they can, you know, we, we do one thing and that's analytics. I'm never going to hire a Java developer, a SharePoint administrator, or for that matter, a project manager. So, so these guys love the fact, I think everybody would, to, to continue to learn and to be challenged and to, to be given opportunities to, to grow and never get old in, in their skill set. I think it's a little bit harder for some of the consulting companies because the model that we have kind of takes away from their desire to put as many people as possible on projects and kind of justify that number of a larger project team. Um, so I think that's something a little bit different about our company, too, is, you know, we believe that quality is the most important thing. And we have a very profitable company. We we don't have tons of overhead. We have no office space. We, we I mean, the two big expenses we have are salaries. We, we try to pay very, very well. 
in healthcare expenses. I think we're one of the last companies in, in the world that, or at least in, in the U.S., that pays 100% for our employees and their families' healthcare. So employees have no, no cost for, for all of their, their health benefits. And that can be significant. I mean, in the U.S., that can be, for a family, that can be like you know, $25,000, $30,000 a year right there. So, so our, our model is, is more of let's keep our company profitable, but let's, let's focus on quality. And when, when, when the quality is there, then, then revenue comes and additional work comes, as opposed to trying to jam as many people as we can on a project and try to justify that. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's totally, um, that's, that's a great approach. And um, I'd, I'd like to dig in a bit more to that, how, how you actually manage to uh, create a company like that, because I think... Uh, for all our listeners out there, this is going to be a good example of a not just how to build a company, but also what to look out for. If you're looking for a job, um, then what what do you look out for to make sure you end up in an organization like this one, like in an organization where you're valued, you have amazing opportunities for growth, not just you're not just being pigeonholed into one a specific task which won't allow you to. Uh, develop further in your career in the directions you want to. And plus, you're very well looked after by the company. And um, I know that this is true about your organization because you guys were named the top 50 places to work in Washington, D.C., right? So that's a huge accomplishment for a small company who in, a, in the consulting space of analytics. So congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. Um, I, I'm just, I mean, I'm almost... Whenever someone brings that up, I'm almost moved to tears, to be honest. And and it's just out of humility. It's I, I, there. There are a lot of awards in D.C. for companies, and 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 you can kind of game the system. And a lot of it is based on revenue or year over year profit or growth. And 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 you know, frankly, those awards, those companies could be driving their 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 employees like slaves and still get those awards. This award is just a. a it has nothing to do with revenue. It, it is just about employee feedback. So, uh, uh, you know, greater than 75% or so, uh, the large, large section of the company needed to submit surveys and pretty detailed surveys. And it was just based on what employees thought of the company and the fact that our employees feel that way about our company. And it's really their company, right? The culture that they have created and they contribute to every single day is humbling to me because I'm, I'm not that smart. I'm really not. It's it's we got some really great smart people and very good learning environment where everybody knows that there's somebody else that knows something more than they do in some area and it kind of keeps us humble and wanting to be kind of lifelong learners and always sharing and contributing. But I mean, you know, going back to your question about how, you know, how how I wanted to start this. I mean, I guess I just looked at the first 10 years of my career where I started, I was, I worked in the, a big four company for eight years. So the, the typical thing with big fours are, you know, it's great for some time, but at some point you get sick of the traveling. You usually do, at least in the U.S., get kind of pigeonholed into one area of technology and they want you to get better and better in that one area. So your billing rates can go higher and higher. And after about four years or so, then they want to switch you over to be more of a project manager and you become less technical. You're more um, and, and your hand, you don't you don't know exactly what's going on anymore. You're trusting people below you. You're getting more and more removed and you, you don't have that wisdom that you can share. And as you keep going up, you know, as you're a partner, you really 
gets down to you're a sales guy. How many yeah. people report to you, right? And 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 maybe it took me a while, but I, I thought that was my definition of success. But and maybe this would be a crude term, but I think that's really just management. That's that's management. And at the same time, when I was kind of leaving uh, Accenture, I was looking at Ralph Kimball, who was just, I, I just fell in love with this guy. I was like a disciple of him. I'm like, this guy has two people in his company, him and his wife. And he's probably working for his wife, you know, <laughs> in some ways. Um, but yet he would go in to organizations that ha- that are some of the, the biggest organizations in the world with the the, the craziest, hardest data problems and analytic problems and solve their, their problems. And then on, on the off weeks, he's, he's having, you know, these 200, 300 room training sessions where he's teaching literally a generation of practitioners how to use star schema and implement that in an elegant way. And I was like, that's, that's my definition of success. He's a leader. He has nobody reporting to him, but he is a leader. And you know, I, I guess I, I, I realized that, that I really wanted to just try to be the guy who knows this stuff really, really well and have a company that's based on wisdom. And so, um, you know, I, all of these things kind of came together where we have a company that we don't travel uh, or, or, or we don't travel that much and we, we don't work crazy hours. A lot of times when companies are working crazy hours, it's because some project manager that doesn't really have any hands-on experience, created some project plan. And, you know, in, in our projects, we create that. I don't want to have to pay for the sins of some project manager that, yeah. that really doesn't know this stuff. And then, you know, I was being typecast. I was being removed out of the technologies. And and so I wanted to create an organization where people could stay in the technology and and embrace that and be rewarded for that and and be leaders and so we, you know, we don't have titles in our company. Um, we, we don't have, I mean, we're a really horizontal company. It's like myself and our CTO, Greg Jones, and that's kind of it. Everybody else is somewhat at the same level below us. So I don't know if that answered your question, but those are some of the ideas that were kind of floating around in my mind um, when, when Tiber started. That's, that's uh, very interesting. And so is that the first thing you focused on when you started Tiber? Did you focus on culture or what was like, what were the first couple of things that you, you looked at? Because for instance, if somebody's, the why I'm asking this question is if somebody is listening to you and is hopefully getting inspired by the uh, culture that you've been able to create, the analytics advocacy culture, um, and mm-hmm. they want to replicate your success, what would you say the first thing to focus on or the most important thing to focus on is for somebody like in that position? It's definitely the people. Um, I always say that, a lot of companies say this. A lot of companies say that employees are their greatest assets. But for us, it is absolutely true. Because um, frankly, it's it's almost impossible to find a person that is as deep and broad in analytics as the folks in our company. Because the, the world doesn't give people those opportunities. Like we said, in a, in a big four, big consulting company, you're going to be typecast. You're not going to have opportunities to grow. And the folks that do have been exposed to a lot of these technologies and, and best practices skills, you know, they're working probably for a small company and, you know, maybe directly for a CIO and the CIO is like, Oh, just go figure this out. So they're not properly mentored. So, you know, we look for people that, you know, um, not straight out of school, but, you know, even probably have a good 
you know, three, four, five years in a in a, a consultancy, uh, have have mastered one or two of these areas, have just a, a real desire to continue to learn and value being a, a mentored, and you know, are are just hungry and and they have the DNA for this, and, and so those are the ideal people that we're looking for, and then we can bring them in and begin to train them and mentor them and then put them on projects and opportunities where they can kind of be paired and crossed train with a person. So someone who is fantastic at Informatica is going to be paired with someone who's fantastic at Tableau. And, you know, they're, they're going to kind of cross train each other as they're working through on, uh, um, on opportunities uh, and, and projects. So, so it really is the people that, that make this possible, but you know, it's, it, you can't just hire an Informatica guy or a SAS guy or a Hadoop guy and say, all right, they're just going to naturally blossom into, you know, a well, you know, deep wide Swiss army knife skilled person. Uh, so you kind of need to have one person that can kind of be that head and that mentor, that Ralph Kimball, um, and then start bringing in folks that have that desire that can be mentored by that, those, those people. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and where do you find these people? Like the, these people sound pretty rare based on your description. Where, where do you look for these people? Probably the best place that, that I look, I've just gotten to be really good at like looking at somebody's LinkedIn profile, believe it or not. Yeah. And I mean, those are always the best people, right? I mean, cause they're usually not looking for jobs, but you know, they, you can look at their background and their passion and what they've done. And so I usually will just start reaching out to some of them and describe our company a little bit. And, and, and it's different, right? And people are like, well, you know, I'm not really looking, but you sound kind of different. Like I really yeah. want to know a little bit more. Yeah. So I have that conversation with them and, you know, just planting that seed. And sometimes people are ready to move and we, you know, continue the process. We have a pretty good recruiting process where I usually talk to them first. And then I have our chief technology officer meet with them face to face. And then I have them talk to at least two of our Tiber guys. And and I encourage our, our prospects to ask the hardest possible questions, the most, you know, difficult, you know, think that they, they would embarrass Jim. You know, Jim's been living in this Tiber bubble for 12 years. Our, you know, he talks a pretty good game, but, you know, do, do his words translate into actions and reality? And I just want to make sure that anybody comes to us, they, there are no surprises. They know exactly what they're getting into. And, and so that's good. And, and we also do what we call Tiber training. We actually had a Tiber training session uh, last Friday. And this is a time we do it every other month on a Friday. And we'll just shut the company down for a half day, go into a room and um, have the whole company there. And we have a couple people present or facilitate some of the hardest problems that they've seen um, in the last couple of months. And sometimes that's new technologies, more hands-on, everybody's logging into AWS and doing something, or sometimes it's a little bit more softer skills. Like I had a customer and this is what was going, it was happening. And it's, it's not about giving them the answer. It's more about, you know, these are things that you can't usually read in blogs or books. It's, uh, we're trying to share wisdom. And so it's, it's more like, you know, there's not really a, a, a black or white answer to this. There's good and better, but let's kind of explore that together. And so we usually have um, our, our prospect employees, our candidates, come join us. Um, so we had like five of them, this, which is usually higher than we usually have. But we, we want to see how they interact with everybody and see how you know, they fit into the culture, the chemistry of their contributing during the learning session. And you know, just if, if it feels right. And so we do a happy hour afterwards 
as well. But it's it's been really good to you know to just build corporate culture because everybody's coming in from different projects and sharing you know six seven times a year, but also to help people kind of get a preview of of Tiber and a microcosm that are thinking about joining Tiber. Love it. I love it. Especially I like the example which you gave where you talk to a person on LinkedIn and then kind of like <laughs> like uh, plant the seed in their head even way before they're possibly ready to join or leave their company. So you you're looking out for talent you're you not like a lot I think a lot of companies make the mistake that they only start looking for somebody when they desperately need them when they've identified the need to fill a role and then they they want to fill it right away and that way they're just you know they're looking for whoever's available on the whoever's looking for jobs and that way they might fall into the trap of hiring a person who's not the optimal person for that role whereas you're just you know just browsing linkedin I can imagine you're sitting for a cup of coffee in the evening, just browsing LinkedIn on your iPad, and you're like, oh, okay, this person looks interesting. How about I chat to them? And then yeah. one and a half years later, they happen to join your company because you had that chat and you planted that seed in their head when before they were even ready to leave their existing employer. I, th- I think that's that's great advice Absolutely. for those. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've kind of, we, and we call it kind of almost dating. You know, I'm doing my air quotes here. Yeah. Where it, it, it is, it feels like kind of dating. Just, you know, will this work out on both people's end? And we need to make sure that it does. And sometimes that takes a month or two and there's an opportunity. And I mean, sometimes we'll have an opportunity where this person clearly is qualified for this opportunity, but it, it, they're just not interested in it. That's fine. You know, we'll, we'll wait for there's another opportunity or maybe the timing's not right. They are in the middle of some project and they don't want to let their, their current employer down. It's like, that's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes we've gone a couple of years without actually pulling the trigger and, and having somebody come over, but they've, they've come to Tiber training three, four times. I've gotten to know them really well. I mean, we, you know, we've become pretty good friends and, and, and that's, that's part of it. And, and, and so I'm very, very protective of our culture. Uh, I, I forget the old saying, but you know, like you know, bad culture eats strategy and oh, vision, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. for for breakfast, right? Yeah. So that that is so true, and 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 I've, I, I don't think I've had a bad hire, but I've had you know one that was was <laughs> it, it affected the culture a little bit, and so I'm the owner of the company. This is my headache, right? So if if I got one person that affects the culture, then that's probably the worst problem I'm going to have. And I'm very, very protective of that. Yeah. Do you find that uh, your uh, existing team is also protective of the culture they've created? They are in a in a good way. Um, it's certainly not an elitist type of group. I mean, they 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 are always willing to reach out to people that we have at Tiber Training and to speak with people by phone that I've kind of lined up that I think would be good reviewers of some of the people that I'm talking with. But at the same time, if if it doesn't feel right, if they're like, eh, this person you know, seems to be all about money or you know whatever it is, then I totally respect that. I, I mean, we when, when we go through myself and our CTO and the couple of people that do speak with these people, we got to be all voting 100% yes. And if there's one person that's not, then there, there's other people. We'll find other people. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So. Very interesting. Um, I, I kind of wanted to move on to uh, a bit of a, uh, like a more slowly getting into the technical side of things question. You've mentioned wisdom several times that uh, you source people with wisdom, you train them with wisdom, you approach mm. your clients with wisdom. Could you give us an example of a 
problem or a project which you had recently, if you can share, of course, uh, where you uh, approached it and how you approached it with wisdom, how that is different to what, for instance, a big four company would do. Okay. Well, let me just, before I answer that question, I want to maybe just I don't want it to sound like we're arrogant. We're about wisdom. Let me just kind of define my definition of wisdom yeah, here a little sure. bit. I, 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 I get this from my wife, who's a teacher who I, I really respect a lot. And she, she, you know, she's kind of taught me that there's, there's three stages of learning. There's knowledge, there's understanding, and there's wisdom. And so knowledge is like, is all about intake. It's, I've read this book. I keep reading the book. I've read this book so many times I've memorized it. But I'm, I'm a paper lion, right? I, I, I've, I, I may not even understand everything that this book says. I've just memorized it. So the next phase is understanding. And that's where I've taken all of that knowledge that I've in, put in my brain. And I'm going to start testing it out. And I'm going to, through experience, start wrestling with these concepts. And I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to fail. I'm going to learn. And, and I'm going to get some understanding. Um, and then wisdom is I've, I've done this so many times now that I truly understand that I've mastered this. You can even tell me things that aren't in this book and I can give you a pretty good gut feel on what it is. And I have gotten to the point where I have formed my own opinions on these things and I can clearly articulate them. Um, I can persuade people on you know, what, what the right thing to do. And, and, and therefore you can really help customers the best. And so that's what I mean by wisdom. It's not that we're, you know, smarter than anybody else or, or anything like that. So I always want our company to be about wisdom, meaning that we have really deep hands-on, uh, over and over type of experience where we understand this so well. And it's not just about, you know, reading a chapter ahead of our customer our client and, and, and being book smart. That, that's what I mean by wisdom. And, you know, I mean, some, sometimes wisdom really isn't about the tech. I mean, a lot of times the technology is, is a little bit more about knowledge and understanding, but, you know, I'll give you an example of a company that we've worked with where it's, it's an older culture. And, you know, the, the executives that we work with at the business on the business side, they know their business incredibly well. I mean, they have been working there for, you know, 40 years, but they're not technology folks. Um, it's, they're coming in from more of a, you know, I'm going to get my PDF report emailed to me at the beginning of every week and at the end of the month. But they come up to us and they say, we want an analytics dashboard or analytics application that can drive our organization from the COO down and, you know, all the direct C uh, reports to the COO and his direct reports and so on and so forth. So, so how, do you, how do you do that? You know, th these guys uh, have, have iPhones, but they have like two apps on it. So, I mean, the example I use is like, you know, uh, Kirill, what do you want on your space shuttle? You know, just, there's no context at all. I love it. That is awesome. So, I mean, we just started going through and it's like, you know, okay, I can't whiteboard this. I can't draw pictures. I, you know, words aren't working. So in this case, we're using, we, we this customer is using Tableau. And we just said, look, we're just going to spend a couple of days just listening to you, learning your business. And it's hard. It's a hard business. And just trying to, you know, Make sure you know we're listening, we're understanding, and then we're going to go back and look at your data. And we're, you know, data is like a sixth sense for us. So we're going to cruise through that, 
And then we're going to be kind of like interior designers. Based on what I'm hearing from you and your preferences and based on what your data says, we're going to come up with about, you know, 10 or so, quote, swatches or visualizations that are samples. So, you know, we'll come back. You know, all of this has happened in a week and, and come back to them. And show them this stuff. And maybe half of them are things that they really don't understand or appreciate. But, you know, the other half, the other five, they're starting to react to. They're like, what's this all about? Can you show, what's this mean? That's interesting. What, can, can we do this for, for profitability instead of revenue? Can we do this for, you know, whatever? And, chain, and, and so the dialogue begins, right? And, and, and they are, you know, doing more showing and less telling, letting them react visually. And so whatever they say during that hour to our session, we go and change it up and, and bring it back to them in a couple of days. And so we just had this cadence of every Tuesday, Thursday, we're going to spend an hour with you showing this stuff. And that went on for three or four weeks until we kind of got to about a 75, 80% pretty good definitions of what they wanted. Now, the back end is just, you know, Excel spreadsheet. It's it's a house of cards. But we couldn't invest time in like a star scheme or ETL or any data structures until we understood what they really wanted to do and kind of began with the end in mind. And then once we're like three, four weeks in and we have a pretty good view of what that analytic solution looked like, now we can, you know, parallel lag behind but catch up pretty quickly all of the data structures to bring it together from, you know, God knows five different source systems and harmonize it, focus on the quality and, and, and store it in a data structure that Tableau can really use very easily and elegantly. And, and not just Tableau, but we've, we've thought about it from an entire information area. So any ad hoc reporting or any, you know, predictive models or whatever can go right on top of that and, and do well. So, you know, that that may not be like, OK, we're using wisdom to do, you know, do, do the craziest AI type of implementation to answer questions. But, you know, this is about changing a company's culture to be more information analytic centric for, you know, a thousand or more users. That's, that's hard. That's a really hard problem. And, and that's how we started and it's, it's working. And, and, you know, halfway through that process, this person that had been, you know, with this company for 40 years, I mean, that person owned this application. She had bought into it. She had owned it. She was doing the demos. And, you know, someone who is not known for their technical skills doing the demos of the application that she created, what's more compelling than that to get people to start using it? So anyway, that's, that's a little bit of a long story about wisdom, but that's, you know, just an idea that we did. Yeah, no, that that is very very clear on uh, how you approach it, and a lot of companies would go in to a situation like that and just use their most uh, developed, enhanced tools and techniques and all their super knowledge to create some amazing, powerful things, which probably the client wouldn't even understand. And I've seen that happen lots of times, where you kind of like deliver. And everything goes over and above the head of the client, and they just kind of like bin the report at the end of the day because, or the whole tool because it's not it's not what they wanted. It's like it's like using a broadsword versus a scalpel, right? You go in, you right. you have a broadsword, and you like you smash everything out, but that's not what they want. That's because they just don't understand that. And sometimes it's easier to better to come up with a more tailored approach. And I can totally see what you mean by wisdom here. And kind of speaking of how you're changing the culture of a company. 
and I completely agree that that is hard. And I've I've been in a situation like that where you have to drive this new analytics focus or analytics agenda or data agenda into the company. And there's so much resistance. What what has been your biggest challenge when you come into companies and you try to change the culture, you try to um, innovate in this way, but there's some sort of pushback? What's been the biggest challenge for you? I, I think of a, a couple of them. I mean, I think the ones that we can, you know, some of them we control and some of them we, it's it's harder to control, but, I mean, and, and they're both huge problems, but one is just the 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 older paradigm that um, you know more reports means greater success. You know, I, I we had, you know they strut in. I, I we've got a thousand reports here. Great, is anybody using them? You know, I mean, <laughs> some of these analytic solutions. You know, I, I like to say a, a, a thousand report. You know, wh- I guess one an, one powerful analytic solution should be the equivalent of a thousand reports. Right. And and a lot of times the reports are showing lagging indicators. Their monthly reports or weekly reports. By that time, it's too late. You need to kind of have a, a pathway of what are leading metrics and being monitor monitoring them on a day to day basis um, through a very dynamic, actionable um, kind of dr- drill down from the top below COO level all the way down or wherever it is CEO level all the way down where everybody can kind of see their piece of the pie look to see what's going on right there take action as if the COO was right on your shoulder telling you what to do if this situation happens and then make those good decisions so at the end of the month you know your number is good so that's that's a very different paradigm because I think sometimes companies are like well this is this is only like you know one uh Say so it's a dashboard application that's got you know seven pages to it. It's like that's good. It's it's a thousand people can use that and do their job and they understand it and it's it's intuitive and it's powerful and it's dynamic and that's good. You, you don't need to have a thousand reports yeah. to prove that you've been successful. That's you know so some I think a lot of times like the less is more. And then the other thing that that we see a lot of is just people fear of sharing their data yeah you know and 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 well that that's it's not your data it's the organization's data and do you understand that if you share your data you're going to be able to also share and receive other people's data and really the the value is not just looking at this data silo it's looking at why your data silo looks the way it is because it's probably related to some of these other data silos yeah. and what's going on in them. If we bring it all together and harmonize it and blend it together, you're going to be smarter. Yeah. And and that's what's best for your organization. And some people, you know, just they, they, they fear that someone's going to take their data and report on it differently and make, you know, bad results come out or incorrect results. Or sometimes it's fear of job security. You know, if I let you have my data, I spend you know, two, two weeks a month putting this data together for people. What am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. like, well, you're going to be able to analyze it now. Yeah. You, know, you shouldn't be spending 80% of your time gathering the data and 20% of your time analyzing it. You should flip that around. For goodness sake, you have an MBA, right? Yeah. You don't want to be gathering, gathering the data. That's 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 great because I was just about to ask you like why why do people have this uh, overprotectionism of their data? And I like totally have encountered that as well. Like people just won't let you access their data because it like this you know, it's really hard to understand why it's happening and sometimes like you say it's um, their job security depends on it and other time they like they're really afraid that you'll screw it up 
You know, like there, mm-hmm. there probably is a chance that you'll screw it up. But if uh, you know, if if they give you, if if you, everything's done smart, like there's backups and there's, uh, you know, you don't get access to the direct data at the start, but just to like copies of it for the for the you know to get things rolling. I think it can be totally done. I think people should be more open about it. So how how do you go about convincing people to give you access to their data? It's hard. So a lot of times it, it comes down to our business sponsor who is able to kind of help us and, and kind of provide that air support. Um, it's, a, it's a tricky conversation. It just depends. I mean, I think sometimes it's easier when people say, you know, I'm afraid someone is going to take my raw data and put it through some business rules and come out the formula with an incorrect value. It's like, okay, well, we can help solve that problem. That That's kind of what Star Schema is all about, is taking the raw data and applying consistent business rules. So we're transforming that into information. So now we have a buffet of information where people can pick and choose what they want and the results are always the same. So you don't have to worry about that anymore. You're, you're gonna be the subject matter data steward on this. You're gonna be able to monitor it. You're gonna be able to define you know, what the business rules are. If they change, you're gonna be able to determine who does have access. Maybe this isn't public or, or all organization-wide type of, of uh, information. So we're going to respect all of that. But you know, do you, you do need to understand that this is the company's information. Information is a huge asset. This, this, the, your organization needs to leverage this asset and, and without you, uh, you, you know, you need to kind of relinquish control so, so the company can, can use this as an asset as it should be used. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. And I was actually just reading somewhere, I think yesterday that, or the day before that, uh, a lot, a lot of organizations acknowledge and understand that data is an asset, but uh, not many like they they understand that if all of their data was to disappear tomorrow that would be a crisis that would be the end of the world but they at the same time they don't understand that um if you like if something if your data is not being looked after on a daily basis or if it's not being used to its full potential potential that's a huge uh, lost opportunity that you're lo- you're missing out still Right. And even going beyond that, that, I mean, there's a lot of companies that have just incredible amounts of data and and they need to think how that data can be used to be monetized, to create products. I know that some of the things that we're doing is we have some startups that we're working with and that startup company alone has a great application. They're collecting a bunch of data and that may be, you know, part of the definition of the valuation of that, that product and that company. But you know, now that we have that data, let's let's bolt on kind of a sister analytics product. And now the valuation of that company has doubled or tripled. It, you know, those analytics become almost the report card for whether your alpha customers are using this and how successful they are to kind of prove back to your, your alpha customers that they are receiving the benefits that they were intended to receive. Uh, it also is great for VCs. They're seeing the results. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's people need to think of information and, and data, uh, how to monetize this, how to create new business uh, offerings and, 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 and products by using it. Yeah, totally agree with that. And uh, I just want to move into a bit of uh, technical stuff. Uh, you've mentioned Star Schema a couple of times and ETL. 
for the benefit of our listeners, could you explain what uh, what those terms mean, please? Yes. So star schema is um, something that was it's, it's a, a way to um, design data models. It has been traditionally in relational uh, databases, but it, it can be abstracted really to any data structure. I think our company's really trying to see how that would lay on top of Hadoop and some other types of non-traditional databases. And we're still in the infancy of that, so I don't have a lot to say, you know, the details are there. But um, yes, yeah, so star scheme is basically the idea that you have in the center of it uh, a fact table that usually is more numeric, has your metrics in it, your key performance indicators. And then surrounding the star schema are what are called dimension tables. And these are the contexts of how you want to analyze your metrics. So anything to the right of the word buy is uh, a dimension or context. So I want to see net profit by, by store, by uh, quarter, by year, by salesperson, by product, by channel. So all of those kind of um, reference points that are can be like either column headers or, or, or row headers to kind of analyze information uh, are, are the dimensions. And the idea is that when you create a dimension, those dimensions need to uh, have the you know a, a single set of values that are used by any fact table. So usually a fact table is that the store's metrics is coming from one source system. Uh, so the idea is that I can start creating 10, 20, 30 fact tables coming from all different types of source systems. You know, maybe it's inventory, it's budget, it's sales, it's shipments, it's fulfillment, it's returns, it's promotions. All these are fact tables that have metrics in it. But when I have a product dimension that shows the dimensions, the reference to all of those different facts, I have one table. I have one list of products that are, are going to be applied to and connected to all of those uh, fact tables. And what that does is it allows me to correlate. It's the bridge that allows me to correlate and analyze across all these different fact tables um, so so I can I can do some very powerful analytics on it. So that's that's the idea of a star schema. And it's a way to build um, enterprise analytics and, and create kind of this buffet of information that is independent of source systems. I mean, source systems can kind of come and go and you, you still have this information buffet, a star schema that allows you to analyze your enterprise. I think these things have failed a lot in the past because people say, okay, I'm going to spend three years and build out an enterprise data warehouse. And you never kind of get there. And these things are always evolving. By the time you're done uh, after a year, it's, it's obsolete. So we don't take that approach. I mean, we're building out like, you know, a, a subject area that may be one or five different fact tables with supporting dimensions. We're doing that every couple of months. And so uh, we always have that principle that you got, if there's an existing dimension, you have to leverage it and conform to it. Uh, but what that does is like Lego blocks, right? We're just kind of Lego blocking all of these different subject areas together, releasing, you know, at least one, sometimes we have two or three teams working in parallel, releasing multiple subject areas in parallel at the same time. And so just gradually taking these baby steps to create these subject areas. And um, so that's, that's very powerful. So, so that's the idea of, of star schema. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and the way that you basically load this data, either the dimension tables or the fact tables, is using uh, ETL. ETL stands for Extraction, Transformation, 
and loading. So you're extracting the raw data out of a source system. And then transformation can be all kinds of things. You could be cleaning up data. You could be blending the data with other source systems. You could uh, be applying business rules so that they're, and, and the results of those business rules. You could be adding extra columns. Um, you could be pivoting the, the, the data in certain ways. So you can do row-to-row uh, -row or column-to-column -column comparisons on dates or metrics or other things. And so, so all of that is kind of prepping it to land into a fact table or dimension table and and the fact table and the dimension table is definitely built out and designed with the end in mind about analytics so a lot of people just think you know why do i need a second database and you know i'm just going to dump all the data that's in my source system and i kind of look at them like that's like saying you want me to build you a house and I'm going to go to Home Depot or whatever, you know, the, the, the stores you guys have in Australia that mm -hmm. you have all the home supplies and, you know, show me your lot. And I'm just going to dump everything on your lot and say, good luck, home sweet home. Mm -hmm. so we don't do that, right? We, we intentionally think about what you want to do with this. And we build the star schema intentionally with, you know, how to handle ad hoc queries, predictive models, analytic solutions, dashboards, all those types of things. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty cool. Th thanks for describing that. And would you say there's uh, situations where the star schema is uh, is not the best approach? Yeah, I mean, when you when you're developing a star schema, it takes time. I mean, you're you're investing a good month or two months doing that. So um, if you're trying to just explore data. I, I mean, I, I'm definitely a proponent of having some type of data lake where you do dump the data and you put, you know, uh, put it through predictive model or Tableau or what, you know, some some way to explore the value of that data to see if it meets your needs. And if if it is, and I think this is probably true with some predictive models. I mean, sometimes predictive models, they, they're just being fed from one source system that may have high quality. And if that's all that needs to be done, great, you're done there. But when I start asking questions of, um, do I want to correlate this with other areas, other source data, and and how frequently do I want to do that, and do I want to start supporting ad hoc queries where I need to have a very flexible, uh, intuitive, high performance type of data model, that's when just dumping the data in a data lake isn't going to cut it, and and so let's put it in a data lake, see what the value is, and Maybe not everything in the data lake is going into star schema, but the ones that do need to be correlated and have ad hoc query and be very dynamic, those are candidates as a subset to start building out in the star schema. Okay, fantastic, fantastic. Thank you for sharing um, that uh, technical description. I think uh, a lot of people will find it useful. And I have a um, kind of like one uh, question leading towards the end of uh, wrapping up this podcast. I I'd really like to know, uh, what your take is on where the field of data science is going and data analytics? Because as you are a business owner, a um, you know your company is uh, in the space of performing consulting and analytic services. You obviously have a huge um, like a lot, a lot. You see a lot of things that are going in this area. So where where do you think this space is going? And more specifically, what do you think our listeners should prepare for? Uh, in order to be ready for the jobs of the future in this industry? Wow, Kirill. <laughs> if, if I knew the answer to that, um, 
I'll tell you, um, it's a, I was actually talking to our CTO and another person on Friday about this. And this is a really exciting time. There are a lot of new products coming out and have been coming out for the last several years. And it's, they're not all going to be around, right? I mean, there's going to be conformance and, and, and you know, uh, at, at the end of the day in, in this space and in, in all of the types of technologies that we're, we're using. Um, I, I think, you know, this, I'm, I'm not trying to escape here, but I, I think one thing that I see a lot of is that there's so many people are, uh, prospect customers, customers, people are recruiting and just hype in the market that are confusing tools with solutions. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, tools don't create, I mean, they're part of the solution, but people, you need to use these tools. They need to be practitioners. They need to have experience to, to develop these things and use the tools effectively. Um, I, I mean, I just look at like Hadoop. I think Hadoop is incredible, powerful technology. Um, I remember three or four years ago talking with uh, someone in an organization, pretty high up in the organization where they were like, all right, we're going to get rid of all of our relational databases by the end of the year and everything's going to run on Hadoop. I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) At that point, I don't even think it does updates. You know, I mean, anyway, I, I, I guess I, I just, I think we need to look at, at these, these tools and, and understand really, not that it's cool or that it has this feature or function and kind of be, uh, you know, a tool looking for a solution, but to try to, you know, use tools to, to create solutions. And I think the other thing is that a lot of organizations really are still trying to just crawl on this stuff. You know, I mean, they, they are still trying to figure out how to blend data together and they have major data quality issues and conformance and um, just simple ad hoc queries and old traditional BI type of products that have ran for 20 years, they still haven't been successful just establishing those types of environments. So to come in and say, we're going to, you know, create artificial intelligence for you applications. It just, they think that's a solution. I mean, I, I, I've, I've had one company say, you know, we, we stock our, our, our stores and we want to create some predictive models on how to stock our stores so we don't run out of inventory. And I'm like, why don't you just kind of take the average of <laughs> some of these things for the last, you know, Friday, last 52 Fridays. And I bet you that'd get you about 98% of the way there. So anyway. Gotcha. Um, okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. So guys, uh, make sure you understand the difference between tools and solutions and you know what you need to focus on in your specific case. And um, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show, Jim. I wanted to um, make a like a quick shout out to you guys. So I think you guys are building a, a great culture. You have a great team. I've I've spoken with Jeremy quite a lot, and I've uh, I'm I mean I'm connected with the people that have taken my courses. I think it's it's great that you guys uh, or you're encouraging your uh, employees to diversify and broaden their skill set. And if anybody listening on this podcast is uh, interested in learning more about your culture and possibly lives in Washington or uh, is willing to rel- relocate to Washington for an incredible opportunity like this. Um, are you guys hiring at this stage? And if you are, then what is the best way to contact you? Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, we're always kind of in a hiring mode. Um, we have a couple of projects that uh, we are are putting people on right now. But 
even if we don't, uh, I mean, we, we, we have a lot of inbound calls. And like I said, we always like to try to get to know people and we get have them get to know us for you know several months before we pull the trigger on anything like that and want to make sure everybody feels comfortable. So yes, we're always looking. Uh, best way to contact us, um, I'm on LinkedIn, Jim Hadley, H-A-D-L-E-Y. You, you can go to Tiber Solutions, T-I-B-E-R solutions.com. Uh, or my my personal email address is jhadley at typersolutions.com. You can just email me directly. Beautiful. Thank you very much. And uh, guys listening out there, this is I think this is a great opportunity if you uh, if you're looking for a you know a great culture to further develop your analytics skills. And um, one more question for you today, Jim. What is your one favorite book that you can recommend to our listeners to help them become better data scientists? Wow. So you're not going to be surprised by this based on all of the conversation is star schema. But gentleman who I started to work with, Chris Adamson, wrote a book in 2010 called Star Schema, The Complete Reference. And uh, I am the technical editor on the book. But, you know, putting that aside, it is the best book that I've ever seen on star schema. It takes a very systematic approach of assuming you really kind of know nothing and just layering in the the, the fundamental uh, groundwork and keep adding on layers and layers and layers to the point where it is just almost like PhD level type of stuff. And so that that to me is the best book. We, we at our company, whenever we have anybody come on to Tiber, I buy that book for them. I have them read it. And then when they come to me and said, I finished reading the book, I tell them, read it again. <laughs> so that's how important it is to our culture. Okay, guys, start reading. It's called The Star Schema, Star Schema The Complete Reference by Chris Adamson. Thank yep. you very much, Jim, for coming on the show and sharing all your knowledge and wisdom with us and telling us about how you are innovating in the space of analytics consulting. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Kirill. You're doing great stuff. You have just such a great audience and wide breadth of folks listening to you, and you're doing fantastic things. So thank you for you and what you're doing in the space as well. Thanks, Jim. Glad to hear. Thanks a lot. Take care. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And we had a very nice and depth chat with Jim about uh, culture, about analytics, about how to build a company. And even if you're not building a company, even if you're just looking to join a successful organization somewhere where you can develop your skills and enhance your career and uh, follow your dreams, then this hopefully was a example of what you should be looking out for, for what an example of what companies do actually exist there and that uh, you shouldn't settle for less. You should look for companies like gyms where you can actually have the flexibility to develop any kind of analytics skills you want and become, as you put it, a Swiss army knife uh, of analytics. And uh, on that note, of course, if you are in Washington DC or if you're looking to relocate there, then definitely hit up Jim uh, on LinkedIn or uh, through his website because uh, this is a great opportunity uh, for you to learn. And as Jim said, you don't, you, not necessarily you have to um, come and work for them. You can still just come to one of their events and learn, uh, learn about analytics, learn about the way they do things. I think that could be a good experience. And also, if you are looking for consultants, then I would check out Jim's consulting organization. Looks like they have everything sorted and um, looks like they have some very good people, very talented people on board. So uh, if you need some analytics work, then um, Tiber Solutions might be a good bet for you. And uh, you can always find all of the show notes for today's episode 
at www.superdatascience.com slash 49. There you will see links to Jim's LinkedIn and the company profile uh, and any other resources that we mentioned along with the podcast transcript. And uh, to finish off today, I just wanted to mention how I found out about Jim and Tiber Solutions. Well, one of my students, Jeremy, he actually messaged me and told me about uh, Jim and said that this could be a good opportunity for us to get in touch and uh, create a great episode. And that's what I think what we have created. So if you know anybody who you think would be a great opportunity for us to connect with on the podcast, then feel free to send this recommendation to podcast at superdatascience.com. We will gladly review them and we will get in touch with those people and hopefully bring them on the show. And then you will get to hear the stories of the people that you admire. So the email again is podcast at superdatascience.com. Can't wait to hear from you. And until next time, happy analyzing. Happy analyzing.